0: Scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. And if you're looking in your Pew Bible, it's page 1028. Please stand for the reading of God's word. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, all. How's everybody doing? Had a good uh, Thanksgiving, I trust? All right, very good, very good. Uh, I did too. Thank you for asking, and it was a good... Good Thanksgiving. Well, this morning uh, marks our first uh, Sunday of Advent. I want to note just two things uh, before we get into our sermon. And the first is uh, that we're going to be doing communion every Sunday through Advent. That's become a little bit of a tradition for us for the past couple of years. And uh, so I just want to make sure you're aware of that. So if you're watching on the live stream, perhaps you need to gather uh, your communion elements here before the service, or we had them, of course, uh, at both of the entrances and hopefully you were able uh, to grab those. So we'll be doing that through uh, Advent. And Then also, uh, as Caroline told us, at the beginning of the service, we are moving our announcements from mid-service to the beginning of the service. So if you came late and you're like, where did the announcements go? They already happened at the beginning of the service. And uh, we were talking about this as a staff, trying to decide whether we should take the announcements out of the middle of the service to give ourselves a little bit more time to linger in worship. And so we finally decided we would rather have you miss announcements at the beginning than miss time in worship uh, in the middle of the service. So if you missed announcements, don't panic. No one panic. Uh, We brought the bulletin back. So you should have seen, uh, you should have got the bulletin. And so if you miss any announcements, they're all there in the bulletin. And uh, you can find those each week. So hopefully you will be here in time for announcements, but I understand sometimes you can't make it. Things come up. So you got the bulletin there as you need it. All right, now on to Advent and our first sermon in uh, this season of Advent. The word Advent, as you probably know, maybe you know, um, means coming. And so the season of Advent that the church celebrates every December is a season of anticipation as the church looks forward to the Lord's first coming at Christmas. And just as the season of Advent looks forward, to the first coming at Christmas, the season of Advent also looks to the Lord's second coming at the close of history, the Lord's second Advent. And the second Advent of Jesus is gonna uniquely be our focus during this season of Advent. If you've been Adventing to Calvary these last number of years, you know that this Advent, we are concluding a two-year sermon series on the story of the Bible called the story of the Bible and the healing of the world. And the series began all the way back in January of 2020 in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, and looked at the beginning of human history, and we've been moving then steadily over the last number of years, a couple years, through the story of the Bible, the single overarching story of the Bible, and working our way to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, and the consummation of human history at least history as we know it. So this Advent, as we bring our series to a close, we are focusing our attention on the end of the Bible's story, which is the Lord's second Advent. And our primary, texts, our primary texts for Advent this season will be from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. So this morning, as we begin our first week of Advent, we're looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, which speaks of Jesus' future dominion, which is a key component of his second advent. As John catches this vision of the end of the age, he sees the Lord exalted and enthroned. So we want to focus our attention there, because when Jesus came to earth that first Christmas, he didn't come just to be a cute baby in the manger, he came to be king. Which is why we sing at Christmas time, hail the newborn king. Rightly, that was Jesus' destiny at that first Christmas. And so the king that Jesus was entitled at the first Advent, he becomes in reality and fact at the second Advent. So there are two things about Jesus' dominion or his authority, his rule that I want us to see this morning. First, We, as the people of God, as the people of Jesus, are called to share in Christ's dominion. And second, I want us to see that we are called to share in Jesus's dominion sacrificially. So open your Bibles, if you've closed them or if you still have them there, redirect your attention to Revelation 1, 4 through 6. Our primary focus here is going to be on verses 5 and 6. Um, And as you are turning there or getting reoriented to that text, let me just say a quick word about context for those of you who may be new to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And at the end of John's life, he was exiled onto the island of Patmos. And while he was on the island of Patmos, the Lord appeared to him in a vision and gave him a picture of of the end of the age, the close of history, and the enthronement of the Lord. And so John wrote down everything that he had seen, and that's the book of Revelation. It's what John saw in his vision on the island of Patmos. The book of Revelation, if you've uh, ever braved to read the book of Revelation, it's filled with all sorts of figurative language and pictures and metaphors, signs, and it can be difficult to interpret the book of Revelation. And to make it even more challenging, to borrow from Charles Dickens' Christmas story, some passages give us a vision of Christmas past, some of Christmas present, and some of Christmas future, and it can be a little tricky to know which is which. But if we zoom back and look at the whole book, the picture becomes more clear. And in short, the basic message of Revelation is that Jesus comes back, Evil is vanquished, God's people are glorified, and creation is made new. So that's the story, the main storyline of the book of Revelation. We're going to be sticking to the main storyline here for our season of Advent. So now having already offered too much introductory and contextual ado, on to our first observation about Jesus' dominion, we are called to share in Jesus' dominion. In verses 5 and 6, John tells us that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, and that to Him has been given dominion forever and ever. The kingship and the dominion of Jesus is pretty much the entire message of the Bible. All throughout both Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read that Jesus is the one who rules the nations. The one who wields the scepter of authority, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the great Melchizedekian priest-king, the heir of all things, the firstborn of creation, the one who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, the ruler of angels, the one under whose feet God has put all things, the one who sits far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, not only in this age, but in the age to come. So it's not surprising, given all that is said of Jesus in both Testaments, that John catches a vision right at the beginning of his vision of the consummation of Jesus' kingship at the end of the age. The whole story of the Bible has been pointing towards this moment. But what I want us to see is that John's vision of Jesus' dominion is not just about Jesus alone. Jesus' second advent marks not only his enthronement over all creation, but ours as well. Let's look again here in our text at verse 5, where John sees that Jesus has made us, meaning the church, the people of God, a kingdom and priests. John doesn't say that Jesus has made a kingdom for us, although that is true too, but that he has made us to be a kingdom. Or as the old King James puts it, he has made us to be kings and priests. Or we could say, in the language that we've been using throughout our sermon series, he has made us to be priest kings and queens of all creation. This is the same basic idea that John will return to at the end in the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22 verse 5 when he says that the saints of God will reign with Christ forever and ever. Paul says the same basic thing in 1 Corinthians 6. He says that the church will one day rule the world, that the church, he goes on to say, will even one day rule the angels. Maybe you recall the very beginning of our sermon series way back in January 2020 in Genesis 1 and 2. When God created humanity, He created humanity in His own image. And then He gave humanity dominion over all that he had made, dominion over the world. But alas, we disobeyed God and we lost our dominion. We lost our royal throne, our royal position to the adversary, the Satan. And a major thrust of the Bible's story from that point all the way to the Revelation is about God's redeeming and returning humanity back to the royal throne that we were originally intended to occupy at creation. So here at the close of the Bible, we're seeing the consummation of that narrative. And the remarkable gospel truth is that even now, in this age, 2021, 20, prior to the end of the age and the Lord's second advent, we are already in Christ, return and returning to that lost royal position. This helps us understand why in the Gospels we see the demons submitting to the disciples and why Peter in 1 Peter 2 refers to God's people as a royal, a kingly, a queenly priesthood and why Paul in Ephesians 1 and 2 says that we have been already spiritually raised up with Christ and seated with Him In the heavenly places, where He sits far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion, all of which is to say that the Lord's second advent and His dominion at the end at the end of the age becomes the Church's dominion at the end of the age, and that we have now, even now, already entered into the first fruits of that dominion. So now, let's see if we can bring this theme of dominion, Christ's dominion, and the church's participation in it. Let's see if we can bring this home to the present day. What does this mean for us here in 2021? I think there are two potential errors that we can fall into as we seek to live out our shared dominion with Jesus. Two snowy ditches, if you will, that we can drive our Christmas sleigh into if we're not careful. We can either focus too much on our share in Christ's dominion, and we can run out ahead of Jesus, forgetting that he is the true and ultimate source of dominion, or we can focus too much on how dominion is really just Christ's dominion, and we can lag behind and forget that we too have a share or a part to play in Christ's dominion. In the first instance, we wrongly think that God's will in the world all depends upon us, and in the second instance, we wrongly think that God's will in the world all depends on Jesus. And the truth is, there's a there's a synergistic relationship between Jesus and the church. Perhaps one of the most helpful passages in Scripture, at least helpful for me, in thinking about this relationship between Christ and the church and how Christ operates or conducts himself in the world is found in Ephesians 5 where Paul says that Christ is the head of the church and the church is the body of Christ. Paul gives us a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church like that between a head and a body. Jesus as the head of the church is the source, the ground, the governor of the church's power in the world and the church as the body of Christ, is the receptacle, the energy, the executor of Jesus' power in the world. So just as a head and body work together in real life to accomplish the will of the person, so too Christ and the church work together in real life to accomplish Christ's purposes. And given this synergistic relationship between Christ and the church, here's some things for us to think about or a question for us to think about given that we're partnering with Christ in the exercise of His dominion in the world, are you more likely to run out ahead of Jesus in your own strength and cut yourself off from His enabling power, thinking that everything depends upon you? It's all about you. Or are you more likely to drag your feet and lag behind and passively assume you have no real part to play in God's purposes. There's a lot of things that can shape or factor into the way that we approach this, right? our personality types, our circumstances. Are you more prone to be overreaching in dominion or underreaching in dominion? Sometimes Jesus wants us to get off the couch and to get to work, to enter into our mutual dominion with Him in the world. Sometimes he wants us to take a break, to stop trying to force things as a reminder to us that our dominion is most fundamentally his dominion. So think about that one place in your life. Maybe you've got that one place in your life. That one place in your life that is a place of concern, it's maybe pressing in upon you. Perhaps it's at work, maybe as the employer, maybe as the employee, Perhaps it's something related to a friendship. Maybe parenting. Maybe you're parenting young kids. Maybe you're parenting adult children. Maybe you're parenting teens. Perhaps your marriage or your neighborhood. If you have a point of tension in your life, is Jesus asking you to actively share in his dominion and to get to work? Or... It's he asking you to passively trust in his dominion and wait for him to act? These are not easy questions to answer, and it's not always the same for every person in every situation. So let me give you just a couple points of pastoral wisdom. Maybe it would be helpful for you as you think about how and when you should enter into your shared dominion with Jesus. The first thing I would say is to follow the peace of Christ. Follow the peace of Christ where it leads you. The peace of Christ doesn't just support us in the midst of our trials. It doesn't just give us the capacity to endure. It also guides us as we consider which direction we should go. Does the path to the left, the path to the right, where does the peace of Christ meet you? Let the peace of Christ guide you. So often we don't make decisions out of a place of peace, but out of a place of anxiety. We need to listen to our anxiety because God has given us the capacity to have anxiety for a reason and our anxiety is like a warning light on the dashboard of our lives that lets us know that something is wrong. So we shouldn't ignore our anxiety. But we shouldn't necessarily follow our anxiety either. Our anxiety is not always a trusted guide to doing what is right and true. Your anxiety will very often take you in the wrong direction. If you're driven by anxiety, it might lead you to passively disengage from Christ's dominion purposes in the world when you really should be engaging in his strength. Or your anxiety might lead you to anxiously overengage in Christ's purposes in the world using your own strength when you really should be trusting in the Lord. I think it's the case, not always, but I think it's very often the case that if you want to know which direction you should go, you should take a look at where your anxiety is encouraging you to go and very seriously consider the opposite. Because the anxiety that you're experiencing will be pushing you not into a posture of peace and contentment and comfort with Christ, but it will be pushing you away from places of fear and doubt and confusion. And sometimes if you're driven by fear and doubt and confusion, you just end up in more fear, doubt, and confusion. We need to follow the peace of Christ. Just as the body follows the head, so too we as the church should follow Christ. And the second thing to think about as you're trying to reflect on what you should do, where you should go, decision perhaps in front of you, is talk to the people of Christ. Follow the peace of Christ and talk to the people of Christ. Sometimes having a new or an outside perspective, an objective look at the situation, someone who has deeper wisdom can really be enlightening about where you should go and how you should handle things. So often, Christ, as the head of the body, directs the body or gives us insight as the body through the body. We are very often the means by which God speaks His will into our lives. So if you're a hand wondering how you should engage in your co-dominion with Christ, then talk to the fingers. Talk to the wrist. Talk to the elbow. In other words, talk to the parts of the body that are around you that are perhaps sharing in a situation similar to you. All right, so the first point here, broad point, is we're called to share in Christ's dominion. We need to do it in a way that is in keeping with His leading in our lives. The second point of our sermon is we are called to share in Christ's dominion sacrificially we're called to share in christ's dominion sacrificially look at verses look at verse 1 5 the ruler of the kings of the earth the firstborn from the dead what has he done with all this dominion he has freed us from our sins by his blood some of us, the idea of the church having dominion over the world makes us squirm a bit uncomfortably. I suspect if you're probably 30 and under, the idea of the church having dominion over the world makes you a little uneasy. It harkens to the days of crusades and colonization. And if you go to university nowadays or Students, if you go to OPRF nowadays, you'll likely encounter the idea that dominion and power are, by definition, oppressive and tyrannizing. In the world's frame, dominion equals power equals exploitation equals death. It always leads to evil. Dominion is not a good thing. And so often, that is exactly how it goes. Most of us have seen power used so wrongly so often that often we think the safest way, the safest path with power is to reject it altogether, to demonize those who have it and to be suspicious of those who desire it. So the idea of the church having dominion, both in this age and also in the age to come, or even perhaps worse, desiring dominion, well, that sounds like everything that is wrong in the world and the church to begin with. So fair enough. But if we feel uneasy about power and dominion, that's because we're thinking about power and dominion from the world's frame, how the world thinks of power and dominion. But that's the wrong way to think about it. The dominion of the church is the dominion of Jesus. So if we want to know what it should look like for the church to share in Jesus' dominion, then we need to look to Jesus, who is the source of the church's dominion. If the way of the world is dominion equals power, equals exploitation, equals death, the way of Jesus is dominion equals power, equals sacrifice, equals life. Where the world uses power to exploit the vulnerable, Jesus uses power to sacrifice for and to redeem the vulnerable. Jesus doesn't reject dominion and power. He just uses it differently. This is the way of Jesus and his dominion in the world he uses it sacrificially to bring life to those who are oppressed and weak and vulnerable, people like you and I. When Jesus could have used his power to lord it over us and make us his servants, he used his power to make us co-heirs with him of his kingdom. I mean, just think about that. He used his power To make us co heirs with him of his kingdom. He has made us children of God, and he did this by becoming our servant and by sacrificing himself on our behalf. Jesus' dominion and his use of power sacrificially shapes how the church is to think about our own participation in dominion and power. Insofar as the church's power in the world is Jesus's power in the world, the church has not been appointed to exercising exercising a tyrannizing dominion over the world, but rather a sacrificial dominion on behalf of the world, just like Jesus. Just as Jesus used his power sacrificially on behalf of others, even at great cost to himself, so too the church is called to use her power sacrificially on behalf of others, even at great cost to herself. Just as Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, so too the church is sent into the world in the name of Jesus, not to be served, but to serve. Thus the vision of power that lies at the heart of Jesus and his church is a vision of dominion in which the strong use their power to protect the weak, even if that protection requires suffering And sacrifice all right now let's see again if we can take this from the theoretical and the abstract and the future and bring it down into the present day think about your participation in christ's dominion think about your share of power as it were think about your relationship to power human beings are drawn to power we are naturally drawn to power All of us are to varying degrees. We try to accrue it through many different means. Money, I think is a primary way. Relationships, another key way. Physical strength. Even weapons and martial skill. I think all of us are so drawn to power because we crave the security that it provides. We intuit, rightly, That we live in a hostile world and we recognize rightly that we need someone or something to take care of us it's a scary world out there and we need some power to protect us ultimately then we are drawn to power i think because we are trying to self-protect And the natural desire to self-protect is understandable, but so often in our desire to self-protect, we end up exploiting and harming others. Can you see how an instinctive and fundamentally self-protective use of your power can be the cause of exploitation in the world? We use our power to get to the front of the line so we don't miss the meal and starve to death, but inevitably, our efforts to get to the front of the line push someone to the back of the line, and they miss the meal, and they starve to death. And who so often gets pushed to the back of the line are the weak and the vulnerable, and that's the story of the world. Everyone using their power to self-protect at the expense of others, and most especially the weak and the vulnerable. Self-protection is not wrong. But when our vision of power is fundamentally self-protective, we're going to end up exploiting others. So think about the places in your life, the situations in your life, where you have a share of Jesus' dominion. Christ has given you a measure of power and influence in the world. Maybe it's work, maybe it's family, the neighborhood, marriage, friendships. Maybe it's the same situation you were thinking of just a moment ago. All of us, unless we are little toddlers, we navigate the world with at least some measure of Jesus' power. And if you're the parent of a little toddler, you know that toddlers actually also navigate the world with a measure of Jesus' power, too. All of us have some measure of power. And in the place where you have a share of Jesus' power, how do you use your power? Is your first and immediate impulse to use power like the world uses power, to self-protect, without regard for how your self-protection may be leading to the exploitation of others? Or are you learning to follow the way of Jesus and use power to bring a blessing to those who are less powerful than you, even if it means at a cost to yourself? Again, let me give two pieces of pastoral wisdom about how to use your power in sacrificial ways. First, I would say when you have a share in Christ's power to whatever degree, be willing to sacrificially give away external power for the sake of others. Be willing to give away external power for the sake of others. External powers, I mean things that are commodities that we possess that are external to ourselves that give us power. The power of wealth most immediately comes to mind here. The more money we have, the more we can build walls of self-protection, literally build walls of self-protection or figuratively, socially. We can buy health, and we can insulate ourselves from harm. But a sacrificial use of your wealth is going to mean diminishing or weakening your own means of power and self-protection for the sake of another's power and protection. This vision of wealth The use of wealth to bring a blessing to others, trusting God to take care of us, and moving our wealth to those who are vulnerable and perhaps in need of it has been at the heart of Christianity since the very beginning. In the early church, the Christians would give alms to the poor, and that practice is carried on all the way to the present day. Throughout the history of the church, people of means have given up their power, the power of wealth, even at great cost to themselves, so that others could benefit. And wealth is just one form of external power. I think there are many ways we can relinquish the commodities of power for the sake of another. This is very much in keeping with Jesus' vision of his dominion in the world. Philippians 2, Paul says that Jesus emptied himself and became a servant. He gave away the external trappings of his divinity for our sake, he became poor so that we could become rich. So if we want to exercise dominion in the world like Jesus, then we need to consider giving away some of our sources of power as Jesus directs us and calls us to. That's the first way. Second way, be willing to sacrificially use inherent power for the sake of others. Be willing to sacrificially use inherent power for the sake of others. Not all forms of power are commodities that are external to ourselves. There are some forms of power that are inherent to our, pers- to our person. With inherent power, we don't have a commodity, we ourselves are the commodity. So, for instance, consider the strength of the body. A 6'4, 250 pound mixed martial artist is more powerful than me. I will surprise some of you, I am a scrappy looking man, very quick on my feet. But if you put me and a 6'4", 250 pound mixed martial artist alone in a room, there is no way that I could survive that if he determined to harm me. He simply has more power than me. And insofar as his greater physical power is baked into his body, he can't give away his bodily power. It's not a commodity that he can hand off and somehow make me more powerful than him. His power is inherent to his person. But he can use his greater physical power in sacrificial ways. So he can carry my luggage, for instance. Right? <laughs> he can physically defend me if I'm being assaulted by someone stronger than me. He can even do that thing that the ox-like creature does in the movie Prince Caspian where he holds up the gate while the little Narnians are escaping and sacrifices himself and his own life. He can do that. I'm being a bit funny about physical strength, but the fact is physical strength, physical power, is a very real source of power in the world. A major source of abuse and marginalization that happens in the world happens because of disparities of physical strength most especially to the harm of women and children. Too many women and children have suffered at the hands of men precisely because men have failed to use their greater physical strength in sacrificial Christ-like ways. All of us have some measure of physical power, and we all need to learn to use it in a cruciform and sacrificial way for the benefit of those who have less than us. Or beyond physical strength, there are other inherent forms of power. Your network of personal and social connections, for instance. If you are a person that is connected socially, you can't give away your social connections as though you no longer have them anymore. But rather, you must use your social connections, if you're going to use your social connections in a way that is reflective of Christ, to benefit others. You must give it away in the sense that you use and allow others to benefit from it. Also gifts and talents, right, special abilities that you have, right, that you can't hand off the ability to someone else, but you can use those gifts and abilities in sacrificial ways to bring a blessing to others. In the pattern and example of Jesus, a sacrificial use of inherent power will not mean sacrificing something external to yourself, but it will mean is sacrificing yourself. This is the highest expression of sacrificial power. To give one's self for the sake of others. So if we want to exercise dominion like Jesus, then we need to be willing to give away not only the commodities of power, but we need to be willing to give away our own selves, and the power that Jesus has put into our very persons. To give these away sacrificially for the sake of others.